Welcome to the MPYA podcast. MPYA is a gathering designed specifically for young adults. In this podcast, you'll hear messages from our gatherings, as well as conversations that we hope will help you navigate these defining years of your life. We hope you'll join us as we explore practical ways we can follow Jesus in our everyday lives. As always, be sure to follow us on Instagram at North Point Young Adults and subscribe to the podcast if you like what you hear. But with that in mind, let's jump into this week's episode. Nineteen forty-three, World War II was happening. Herschel Woody Williams. He was twenty years old. He was in the army, in the American army, and he was in uh, the army as a demolition sergeant. And him and his troop had been tasked to fight in this battle that's pretty popular. You may have heard of it before, called Iwo Jima. Iwo Jima. So Woody Williams. He was a demolition sergeant and in Iwo Jima, and among his troop, there was five different demolition sergeants. Well, throughout the course of the battle, every single one of them died except him. And so he's the last one standing out of these demolition sergeants. And the enemies had these bunkers set up that they could not pass through, but they had to be destroyed. And the timeline was getting really close where these things had to be destroyed or the battle was going to take a turn for the worse. And so Woody was tasked with the job of going into these bunkers one by one, crossing enemy lines by himself and destroying the bunkers so that they could pass their uh, tanks and machinery and the troops could move forward. And so one by one in a span of four hours, Woody Williams went into every single bunker and destroyed all seven of them. And up until a couple years ago, he passed away and they asked him a few years before he passed away, about his experience and about that experience in that battle specifically. And they asked him, hey, how was it? I mean, that had to be a lot of courage, a lot of bravery. What did it take? Someone's alarm's going off. (laughs) And, And they asked him, like, what did it take? How did you do that? How were you so courageous? And he said this, which was so powerful. When reflecting on it, he said, America was and is worth fighting for. He said, if we lose our freedom, we lose America. The thing that motivated him, that gave him strength, that energized him to be able to go into these enemy lines and and cross uh, into just enemy territory, put his life on the line, was he said, my country, America, was and is worth fighting for. He knew that in the back of his mind. And so he said, it doesn't matter what it takes, what level of commitment it takes, I will fight for my country because it's worth it. It's worth it. He knew what he was fighting for. And because of that, he was committed at all costs. And so tonight, I want us to come around this idea in our faith that a committed life leads to lasting life. A committed life leads to lasting life. I believe that's what Paul is trying to tell Timothy here and then tell us tonight, that a committed life to Jesus, to the gospel, to God, leads to lasting life. Our culture tells us that commitment is a bad thing, that you don't need commitment. Come on, like, and let, can I be honest with you? Like, I have a commitment issue. We all do, probably, to some degree. Gen Z has been like pegged as 
you know, like they can't commit to anything. Our attention spans eight minutes. I have a commitment issue. It may look differently for you. For me, what that looks like is I have a really hard time committing to plans. Anyone? Okay, we got one person tracking along with me. Great. So you feel me on this. I have a hard time committing to plans because if someone asks me, hey, what are you doing two Fridays from now? I look at my calendar, it's completely clear, and I'm like, uh, not sure why. And I want to know exactly what they have in mind before I commit to anything. And then I will tell them, hey, I'll let you know about that. i got to check my calendar as I'm sitting there checking my calendar. Because I'm scared something better might come along. And if something better comes along, I don't want to be tied down to whatever that was I want to have the freedom to jump out and do whatever I think is the best offer on the table at the time. I have a commitment issue. We all probably have commi- commitment issues to some degree. Marketing people know this. If you're in marketing, you probably are thinking, like, how can we take advantage of commitment issues? It's such a big thing nowadays. Like, people are like, hey, you can sign up for this. No commitment required. Cancel any time. That's what gyms get you on all the time. No commitment required. $9.99 a month. Cancel any time. But you can't call to cancel. You got to come in to cancel. And nobody wants to go in the gym to cancel your membership because you feel horrible about yourself. So you end up paying it for three years and never go. Or Amazon has this thing now. Does anyone know about this? It's called Try Before You Buy. Anyone? So you can try something. If you're like, hey, I need some new pillows for my bed. Let me go on Amazon. This one looks good, but I'm not sure I'm going to like the texture and the way it looks in my room, whatever it is. You can try it before you buy it. And then if you get it and you like it, you end up purchasing it. Like Commitment is such a low thing in our society nowadays. And I think the problem is that starts trickling into our faith where commitment is such a low bar for us today, especially among our generation. I have major commitment issues, but that starts trickling into our faith. And when things get hard, we like to check out because we like comfort. When things get a little bit hard and we feel some resistance or some friction in an area of our life, we like to check out. Because surely this isn't God's will, right? It's not his will for me to feel resistance on something. Like, he's asked me to follow him. He's going to make straight the path. He's going to just open the door wide if that's what he's asking me to do. He wouldn't ask me to do anything hard, would he? But we see throughout Scripture that this isn't true. John 16, 33 says this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He tells and promises us, you're going to have peace, but you're going to have trouble in this world. You live in a fallen world, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Matthew 16 says this. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to deny him yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. And I think it's interesting to think about the idea when Jesus was telling his disciples this, he hadn't died on the cross yet. And so when we think of cross, we're like, oh, cool, cross. I'll pick that up gladly. Jesus died and rose and it's 
the symbol of our faith, the cross. But at this point, Jesus hadn't died on the cross, and the disciples weren't really sure how all that was going to go down. He had like thrown some subtweets out there. I'm not sure you say that anymore. He's like sub-threads, because threads is a new thing. He he'd like trickled some ideas out there. But for the disciples at the time, all they knew of a cross was a public execution tool. And so Jesus is telling them, hey, you've got to pick up basically the electric chair to deny yourself, die to yourself, and follow me. But it's worth it. So let's jump in 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2 is where we'll start. It says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and you will have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. At the very beginning, Paul is reminding Timothy where his strength comes from. Hey, he's like saying, Timothy, don't forget, your strength comes from Christ Jesus, by the grace coming from Christ Jesus. But then there's a word in there, entrust. He's saying, hey, what you've heard from me and what you've heard your entire life, remember, Paul and Timothy have been tracking together for a while. They're boys. And Paul's saying, Timothy, remember everything I told you? everything you've learned from me, everything you've seen me do as I've led others and you've been there, I want you to entrust that to other people. He's saying the gospel, Jesus and his message and his hope for your life is never meant to stop with you. You're not just a consumer, you're a steward. And I think about us tonight and I wonder if some of us in this room have been consumers of the gospel for a really long time, and that's not always a bad thing, but at some point we've got to move from a consumer to a steward. The gospel's been entrusted to us so it could be passed along to other people. We live life on mission. That's who we are. Are we a consumer or are we a steward? Paul's telling Timothy, hey, you've got to entrust this to other people. So let's jump in first point tonight is a committed life is a battle. A committed life is a battle. Verses three to four say this, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Paul uses a military word picture here, which isn't that surprising. Paul lived in a military state in Rome. He was currently in prison in Rome, like we had talked about. And so he's like living in prison. The guards are there. He's living at the will of the guards every day. They're ruling his life. And so that's just front of mind for him. So he uses this military word picture saying, hey, a committed life's a battle. You're a soldier. That the Christian life is a battle. It's going to be hard, like Jesus said at times. But remember why you do this. And this makes sense to us, right? Like the Christian life is a battle. Maybe you have forgotten that. I tend to forget that, that we're living in a battle. But when you really zoom out and think about it, it's like, yes, that makes 100% sense. We have an enemy. His name is Satan. And he hates the things of God. And he hates us. And he's the father of lies, and he wants to do everything he can possibly do to lie to us, to tell us we're not good enough, that we're never going to be good enough, that the season that you're in currently is where you're going to be forever, 
that that job that you want is out of reach and you're never ever going to get past where you are now and that you don't have enough worth for someone or that you're going to be single forever. God hasn't written into your story of family. Satan loves to lie to us. The problem is when we start believing these lies. So I would just ask you, who are you listening to? Don't forget you're in a battle. Satan is warring against us all the time. And Paul's telling Timothy, hey, we're in a battle. And then in verse 4 he says this, a soldier is fully focused. He says, a soldier... um, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He's saying, hey, uh, Timothy, don't get distracted by things of civilian pursuits. Are civilian pursuits bad when you're a soldier? No. I mean, that's just what everyday people are doing. They're living their life. They're going to work. But as a soldier, we have a higher calling. And so he's telling Timothy, don't get distracted by those things. They might be good things. But you have a higher calling. You have a higher responsibility. And so don't get distracted. They might be good things, but they're not ultimate things. And there's many things in our life every single day, especially as 20-somethings, that are good things. But when they become our full focus, we miss out on the ultimate things. And Paul's saying, don't get distracted. Don't forget you're in a battle A committed life is going to be a battle, but it's worth it. Paul's staring death in the face. He's at his last days. He knows that. And you start thinking about people that are on their deathbed. I've seen that a few times in my life with grandparents and family friends, whether it be like a two-month timeline where they're kind of getting towards the end there and they know that or two days, whatever that looks like. But I've seen people on their deathbed and been able to talk with them some and they're reflecting back on their life. They're looking back at everything, whether it was 80 years or 60 years, whatever that is. And no one has ever said, I wish I would have made more money or I wish I would have spent more time at work really advancing in my company. Or I wish I would have had more followers. Or I really wish I could have checked this off our bucket list. No, they don't say that. They're thinking about their legacy. They're thinking about people, where their family is, how they're leaving their family. They're thinking about their friends. And Paul's saying the same thing to Timothy. Is a job bad? Is, is experiences in life bad? No. Is money bad? No. But he's saying, don't get distracted by civilian pursuits. You have a higher calling. And we, as the body of Christ, have a higher calling, each one of us. That's to glorify God and advance the mission of God. We're his church, we're his body. Don't get distracted. And you might be like, Nathan, this sounds cool. But I can tell you, I didn't sign up to be in an army. I didn't get recruited. I didn't go through basic training. I don't want to go through basic training. I don't really want any of that. I'm 24. 
I'm single. I'm just looking for a spouse to build a family, live, to build a career, go to some cool places, have a nice, quiet life, and be done. That's really all I want. I'm a simple man. And I would just say to you that you're missing out on so much when we settle like that. So secondly, a committed life is focused. Verse 5 and 6. An athlete, Paul says, is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of crops. So he goes into these two different word pictures here. We just got done talking about soldier. Now he brings up an athlete and then a farmer. And an athlete, it's... Paul talks a lot about sports in his writing at times. Rome was really big on sports. And he's saying, hey, you've got, in order to be crowned, you've got to compete according to the rules. I've been watching this new thing. I'm like three episodes in, so I don't know a ton. Uh, but a new series on Netflix called Quarterback. Anybody? Quarterback? Okay, Bennett, I got you. <laughs> so Netflix just came out with this new series not that long ago called Quarterback. I think there's eight episodes. It follows Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Kirk Cousins and Marcus Mariota. And I like, I'm a sports guy. I love football. I keep up with sports all the time. And I knew about quarterbacks and all the work that they put in. And like, they're not just working 17 games a year. They're working every day. But when you start looking at that and you watch that series, you're like, every moment of every single day, they spend their time dedicated to one goal. And that's to win a championship. Every single thing they do is devoted to that. I mean, they're like in the cold tub, in the hot tub, taking ice baths. Patrick Mahomes does like tissue workouts so he doesn't sprain his ankle. It's just insane. Film study, every single moment of every single day is committed to one goal, to win a championship. They're hyper-focused on that. And Paul's telling Timothy, hey, just like an athlete that's focused on one goal, that's what you need to be. Focused on spreading the gospel and, and loving God and loving people. That's how you need to spend your days. Everything needs to work towards that. Don't ever forget the goal. And that's how we are to spend our lives. Warren Wearsby says this, kind of a long quote, but hold with me. From the human point of view, Paul was a loser. There was nobody in the grandstands cheering for him, for all they which are in Asia had turned away from him, which he mentions in chapter 1. He was in prison, suffering as an evildoer, yet Paul was a winner. He had kept the rules laid down in the word of God, and one day he would get his reward from Jesus Christ. Paul was saying to young Timothy, the important thing is that you obey the word of God. No matter what people may say, you're not running the race to please people or to get fame. You're running to please Jesus Christ. And that is what I would say to you tonight. You're not running the race to please people. Don't get distracted by what people think of you. You're hyper-focused on one goal, and you're running the race to please Jesus Christ. And then secondly, in uh, verse 6, he goes into this illustration about the farmer and how the farmer... It, the hardworking farmer gets the first share of crops. It takes hard work for the farmer to see and harvest. The farmer is not just like he plants the, the seeds and then shows back up nine months later and he gets the harvest, but the farmer has to wake up day after day after day at 5.30 in the morning to tend to the land, to tend to the crops. And for months on end, he doesn't see a harvest. 
It's just a trust exercise. It's just a trust thing that one day there's going to be a harvest, but that doesn't mean I'm giving up now. And Paul's telling Timothy, hey, when it gets really hard and you see no end in sight, and when it feels like you're not, your work is not making a difference, the hardworking farmer gets the first share of the crop. That when you want to give up and you feel like there is no harvest coming, keep pushing through. When you feel like you've been trying to pour into your mom or your dad or your coworker and lead them to Jesus and have spiritual conversations and there is no ground being taken, no growth, don't give up. Because the hardworking farmer, farmer gets the first share of the crops. So for you tonight, I don't know what that looks like for you, where you need to really press in and not give up. Maybe that's for your own faith, not just someone else's faith. That it's gotten really hard for you, and, and you're like, man, I'm out, because I'm not seeing anything from this thing. And God's saying to you tonight, keep pressing in. Keep watering the soil. Keep tending to the soil. Don't give up. So you get to the end of this in verse 7. It says, Paul tells Timothy, hey, think over all this and you'll get understanding from the Lord. Just ponder these things. Think about these things. And you get to the end of this section in, in the letter and you're like, okay, I just got three new job descriptions that I don't want. I'm a soldier, I'm an athlete, and I'm a farmer. And you're like, I just work tech sales off windward and that's all I really want to do. I don't want to be an athlete, soldier, or farmer. But Paul turns a corner in the passage here and starts reminding Timothy why all of this is worth it. All of it is worth it. In verse 8, it says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So thirdly, the third point is a committed life is worth it. A committed life is worth it. Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. It's kind of like uh, in 1836, Sam Houston was leading the Texas army in a war from their independence from Mexico, and they coined this term, this battle cry. Remember the Alamo. The Alamo was a, a Texas fort where their army had gotten wiped out earlier that year. And he's telling the Texas army, hey, when we go into this battle, remember the Alamo. Remember why you're doing this. Remember why you're fighting. When it gets hard, when you've got to sacrifice a lot, when it gets scary, when it takes courage, remember the Alamo. And Paul's telling Timothy, and he tells us tonight, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's what pushes us forward. That's what energizes us. That's what motivates us. That's what gives us life. Remember Jesus Christ. It's like a battle cry for us as the church. The reason that you stay committed, the reason that you push through, the reason that you stand up for your faith even when it's really hard, the reason that you live a life of integrity, following Christ at all expense. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's why we do this. That's why we're here. 
we're remembering Jesus. Then Paul ends by reflecting on his circumstances some. He says in verse 9 and 10, For which I am suffering, suffering of the gospel, he says, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He's reflecting on his circumstances, and he's saying, hey, I remember Jesus in everything, risen from the dead. And that's why I'm suffering. That's why I'm in jail. That's why I'm put, I'm sentenced to death for this gospel, for this Savior, for his church. And it's worth it all. It's worth every ounce of my life. It's been worth every sacrifice. And I don't look back and regret. It's worth it. A committed life is worth it. Paul knew that that the charges against him were serious. That word criminal that he uses there is only used one other time in Scripture, and that's in Luke, when they were trying to find a charge to charge Jesus with to put him to death. And that crime is, is... describing a crime worthy of being put to death. That's what Paul was facing, and he knew these crimes were much more serious than those in the past. He had been in in prison before for different crimes, but this time he knew it was different. He knew they were serious, that his days were numbered, and that he's looking at his last days. And he wanted Timothy and the next generation to know Hey, it's worth it. The battle's worth it. A life sacrificed for God, fully devoted to Him, it's worth it. And Timothy's young. He's going to carry on Paul's legacy. And Paul's saying, hey, I don't know what you're going to face in the future, Timothy, but just have this perspective. Remember Jesus risen from the dead. It's worth it. Paul ends the passage with this three-verse statement. And he begins by writing, The saying is trustworthy. Verse 11, it begins by saying, The the saying is trustworthy. And as I was reading and studying about this, scholars say that what that's saying is, the saying, if you put that in quotes, this, what follows that, is either part of a hymn that the early church would have sang regularly, or it was part of a statement of faith that the early church would have recited over and over again, that they would have known. And Paul's saying, the saying is trustworthy. When I was in high school, uh, freshman year, I started working for this lady in my neighborhood in her yard some. I was a freshman, I didn't have a car, I needed money. I don't even know what for, but she's like, "Hey, you want to come work with me? You don't even have to drive, whatever. I was all in. And at the time, I think she was 85. I was a freshman in high school. She was 85. And throughout um, the years, I ended up working for her all of high school and all of college. And she would work with me in the garden. Like, it was crazy. She's like 89 out there whacking bushes down. And I was like, this is insane. But through all of those times, we had a lot of really intimate conversations and had to, we got to have really good conversations about faith, 
She was a really strong lady uh, of faith, loved Jesus, had followed him for decades and decades. And we would have these really hard and sometimes sad and we'd be crying and then sometimes really joyous conversations about faith and what God was doing in the world and people in our life. And there was times where she would tell me, the saying is true. She's like, you know, Nathan, it really is true, blank. And whatever she said after that, I leaned in a little bit more. Because I knew that she didn't just believe it. She had tested it with her life. Her life had proven it throughout the decades and decades. And she had come out on the other side and learned it and 100% believed it because she lived it. And I walked away being like, man, that's, that's true. It's true. I know it's true because she's lived it. And that's what Paul's saying here to Timothy. <laughs> the saying, what follows, Timothy already knew. But Paul's saying, you know what, Timothy? The saying's trustworthy. You can bank your life on it. So let's read it. It says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Rome, actually, and I got to visit um, the prison where Paul wrote this letter. I have a picture of the outside. There it is, the Mamertine prison. Right there it says Mamertinum. I think that's Italian. Um, but you can kind of see above, it says prison of apostle Peter and Paul. That's the prison that Peter and Paul uh, were believed, and they know from evidence. That is the prison where they both uh, spent time before they were executed for their faith. And so then you can go in. They've kind of made a museum out of it. You can go in, and then the first chamber we have a picture of. This is the first chamber. So you would kind of walk down, and this was the chamber where they kept common prisoners, and so this is just like the prison in Rome. All of the city is like right next to it. The Roman Forum is literally right behind all of this. This was the top chamber where if you were just like committed, I guess like misdemeanors, you're thrown in there, hanging out, whatever. But you see that circle, the grate in the floor there. And that grate went down to a lower chamber. And they believed that that is the chamber or that grate, they would take that out and they would uh, take people who were sentenced to death to be executed. And while they were spending their final days there, they would throw them down into this lower chamber. And a lot of times they would get broken bones from it or whatever. But this was the chamber. I mean, really small. It was dark. It was damp. It was cold. And I'm just standing there like, Paul wrote these words here. And he's telling Timothy, and he's telling us tonight, the saying is trustworthy. It's really true. As he's in this chamber spending his last days, his seconds are numbered. He's staring death in the face, looking back over his life and all that he had done for God. And he's telling Timothy, hey, it's true. If you've died with him, 
you will live with him. How real was that for Paul? He was about to die for Christ. And if you endure with him, you will reign with him. That's the hope that Paul was clinging to. And then I love in uh, verse 13, it says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. That even though when when we're unfaithful and we're going to fail, he remains faithful. Because that's who he is. That's the good father that he is. That's the savior that he is. And I just think about that, that Paul was spending his last days in this chamber. But he knew while those were his last days on earth, he had a full life ahead of him because of what Jesus had done for him. He grieved with hope. He looked at his sentence, his execution, with hope. Because he knew he had a future and his future was heaven. Hudson Taylor says this, It's not trying to be faithful, but looking to the faithful one that we win the victory. We're not always going to bat a thousand. We're not always going to get it right. No matter how hard we try, how much we want to, we're going to fail. We're not always going to be faithful. But it's looking to the faithful one, our Savior, our Lord Jesus, and what he did for us. That's when we get the victory. And that's what's available to you and to I tonight. So I don't know where you are tonight along your faith journey. If you are new to this whole thing and you're still exploring and you're like, what is this all about? Maybe God's been speaking to you that you need to commit your life for the very first time. Like you need to commit your life to Jesus. Or maybe you've been following him for a while, but you're like one foot in, one foot out, trying to figure out if you're going to stay. Is this worth it? Do I really want to follow Jesus in my 20s when it's really hard and no one else is? Or do I just want to kind of check out and do my own thing? I'll return to church and to Jesus eventually when I get married and have kids and raise a family. But for my 20s, I'm just going to kind of check out. And Paul is telling Timothy and God's telling us all tonight, committed life is worth it. There's so much hope in it. Jesus offers us so much uh, life in it. He says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. He offers us abundant life, deep relationships, peace, joy, a peace that passes all understanding, a joy in times when it makes no sense, a purpose, a life of meaning. That's what Jesus offers to us tonight. And so we're going to sing this song as we wrap up, just called Worthy of It All. You may have heard it before, but it's pretty simple. It just says, worthy of it all, over and you are worthy of it all, over and over and over again. And when I think about our life in view of what God has done for us, the least that we could do is lay it down and say, God, you are worthy of it all. You're worthy of every second, of every day, of every decision that I make. 
of every conversation that I have, every opportunity that I have. God, you're worthy of it all. And so maybe that needs to be the heart cry of your life tonight, that you need to walk out of here with a new banner over your life saying, I am committed to God. I'm committed to Jesus with everything because a committed life leads to a lasting life and he's worthy of it all. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for who you are and what you did for us. God, tonight as a people, we just say, we remember Jesus risen from the dead. That's why we're here. That's why we sing. That's why we read these scriptures. Because of what you did on the cross and how you rose from the grave three days later, giving us hope, giving us access to life. And not just life on this earth, but God, life everlasting. And when we take on that perspective and we take on that view, the very least we could do is commit our life to you, to lay down everything we have, God. God, we know it's going to be a battle at times, and it's going to be hard, but you go with us, and over everything, you're you're worth it. Like you are worth it. And so you're worthy of our entire life. So God, do with it what you want. Speak to us in this time. Transform us, change us. And God, just work on our hearts. We love you in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the NPYA podcast. To learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at North Point Young Adults or head to our website, northpoint.org slash youngadults. And if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss one. See y'all next time.